Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a topic-based episode for you. Today's topic is race intensity simplified. So I feel like I've said this at least once in the past, but I am adding another episode to this series that began with simply endurance training simplified. And then I decided, Hey, I'm going to take all the components of that and break them down into their individual parts. So if people do want to dive a little bit deeper, but still kind of follow the structure that I think is easiest to understand, especially for people who are new to endurance athletics can have all that stuff. So here's the list that I have so far. I think this is going to be the last one, but I'm always open to additional topics to add to it. If those do come across my desk. So what I have in order of released episodes was episode 337, The Long Run, Considering the Variables, episode 344, Endurance Training Simplified, episode 346, Short Intervals Simplified, episode 348, Long Intervals Simplified, episode 352, Proper Aid Station Navigation, and episode 356, Easy Run Simplified. So this one will be added to that. Those will be in the show notes and linked, whether that's in the actual show notes on the podcast or YouTube platform that you're listening to, as well as on the show landing page, which is always available on my website at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO, where I have the entire catalog of all the episodes with details and links and all that sort of stuff. Just a quick reminder for Human Performance Outliers listeners, if you want to enter a raffle that I'm running right now, The raffle is for a free 30-minute consultation with me. All you have to do is once you listen to an episode that you enjoy, share it on social media. So either Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And when you do that, just tag me with the message that you shared so that I know that you did it and can save that and enter you into the raffle. What I'm doing is at the end of every month, I'm organizing all of those posts that got shared throughout the course of the month and just drawing a random raffle from that and then announcing that person on the show and reaching out to them on the platform that they shared it. So if you do it, just don't forget to tag me because if you don't tag me, I might not see it. And if I don't see it, I can't enter you in the raffle. I will be announcing the winner for July on the next episode at the beginning of the show. So if you have been participating in this in the past, wait for that because you might get picked. Uh, also before we get rolling to just a few other announcements, one is if you are in Austin and want to meet up, I do host a group run, or I should say help host a group run on Sunday mornings. Right now we have an eight o'clock and a nine o'clock start. It historically has always been more skewed towards the 9am start since it's been getting hot out. It's moving towards eight. So if you're looking for a larger group of people, eight o'clock is the better one. We do have a little bit of a kind of meetup slash uh, I'll talk about a specific topic for maybe five, 10 minutes, and then we'll do a raffle there as well with some products. So a lot of people do stick around for the beginning of the 9 a.m. start to participate in that stuff if you're looking for just kind of the community side of things. But more welcome to more than welcome to come. Anyone's welcome. We do a six mile loop, a four mile loop and a two mile loop. Same same routine for both eight and nine. So if you want to do more, you can come to both. And yeah, that's at Mets Park. Details for that are on Instagram. If you go to at Outliers ATX. Also, if you haven't been keeping up with the catalog, 
recently just did an interview with ultra runner Arlen Glick, who's got a really interesting backstory and trajectory through the sport. I've also been doing a fair bit more educational stuff similar to this podcast episode, one that has been getting a lot of feedback from the listeners that I think has been just from a timing standpoint, really a useful tool is an interview I did with Andy Blow on episode 358, and that's called All Things Hydration, where we dove into just how do you know how to go about hydration during this time of year or just in general? Because that is a kind of multi-part process to really dial in that can make a difference, especially when you're going for performance-based runs and things like that. I actually wanted to do that show partly because last summer I actually did get my sweat tests done and found out that I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes per liter of sweat. And it's just such an interesting thing to me because you have two things going on there. You have the actual electrolytes that you're losing per liter, and that's going to range greatly from one person to another. But then you actually have the amount of liters you're actually losing. So that's going to vary from one season to the next. Like if I'm running in cold weather, I might lose very little. Whereas this time of year, I'm losing sometimes two liters per hour. So it makes a big difference from both the person to person as well as uh, environment to environment from a fluid loss standpoint. So the example I usually use is my wife, she loses closer to one gram per liter. So she loses more electrolytes than I do by over 50%. But if we went out for a run together in the same temperature, I'd probably lose more total electrolytes because I'm going to lose more total sweat than she is. Because if we just measured the amount of fluid loss between the two of us, I would lose substantially more than she would. So there's some really great tips as to kind of how to figure all that stuff out in that episode with Andy Blow. Along the topics of electrolytes, Human Performance Outliers podcast, one of the primary sponsors this year is Element. And Element actually makes an electrolyte and they have these single serving packets that they sell in a variety of different flavors. Those flavors include citrus, watermelon, orange, grapefruit, raspberry, chocolate, mango, chili, raw, unflavored. And they actually have a total of 1,260 milligrams of electrolytes. That's 1,000 milligrams of sodium, which is the primary electrolyte you're going to lose in your sweat, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. For those of you math people out there, you're probably thinking, oh, well, Zach's numbers in that it comes out to exactly half one of those packs per liter of fluid loss. And you would be right. What I usually do is if I'm using one of those full packets, I will mix it into about two liters worth of water if I'm trying to match that concentration. So an example of that of what I'll usually do is if I'm doing something a little bit longer and it's going to be hot out, I'll usually do a half a packet in my coffee in the morning with that chocolate. And that kind of gets me like preloaded. Then I head out for the run itself. And if it's long enough where I'm going to be drinking a fair bit of fluids, you know, maybe I'm taking in two liters with the fluid. I might mix a whole nother pack of that. Usually I'm going with watermelon for my intra run or my non warm beverage flavored option of choice right now. But uh, there's a bunch of those flavors that I mentioned. So if you're curious and checking them out, they're actually doing a promotion right now where human performance outliers listeners can get a free sample pack of all those flavors to check them out and find out if you like them or if you do which ones you like the best, you get that with your first purchase and you get that by just going to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. Links to that will be in the show notes as well as at zachbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Also supporting this show is a product I've been playing around this year by a company called Delta G. 
Delta G is the go-to ketone ester company. The reason they're the go-to is because they do basically all the research. They are the ones with the DARPA funding. They're the ones that have the Oxford University research. They've got 50 plus published research studies, 20 plus ongoing studies, and they've had some really interesting stuff come out now. I've been following this topic for years now. In fact, I had Brianna Stubbs back on, or I'm sorry, I had Brianna Stubbs on the podcast years ago to talk about this. At that time, it was basically like, look, the performance stuff is new and not convincing enough to look at it from a, as a performance aid at this point in time, but recovery was looking very promising. Now we're starting to see some research that would maybe suggest there's some performance usage for it too. So I'm looking to have a few more guests come on the show to talk about just the topic as a whole of ketone esters, because we're just seeing a lot more usage in it. I think a lot of people think of like the Tour de France when they think about that stuff, which is typically where a lot of stuff gets kind of introduced into endurance sport first, because, well, there's just a lot of funding and research in, in the Tour de France. So uh, the the reason I've been using Delta G's though, is because their formulation is very specific towards the research versus what you're going to see in a market filled with all sorts of different ketone products that will likely claim the research, but they might not actually match their formulation to what the research is actually being done. And therefore can't really expect to get the result that the research showed if you're not using what the research was actually using itself. And that's why I like Delta G. If you want to check their stuff out and figure out if it's something that you want to consider, they're actually doing free consultations on their website. So all you got to do is head over to deltagketones.com. And from there, you'll get prompted to sign up for a free consultation. You can talk to one of their experts about what you're doing and where the application might be. For me, it's pretty simple. If I'm doing a big workout, I'll take Delta G performance options. So one of their little bottles of that for like a long run. So for example, this last weekend, I took one right before my two hour and 45 minute long run and I was good. That's all I needed. If I were to do a race, I'd probably do another one of those every three hours or so. Again, you can head to deltagketones.com to find out more information, look at the research and figure out whether it's something you'd be want to consider. And ultimately, if you want to have them help you dial in what would be a potential protocol for yourself, you can reach out for that free consultation there. Today's is the one where we kind of get to the end of things, where it is the intensity at which you're planning to compete at or you're planning to test yourself off. So it's that final piece to the puzzle, the end of the buildup, the training, and the, the final aspect of it before you're likely going to, assuming this is your key race or top race, maybe take a bit of an off season, hit the reset button before heading back into another buildup if you're going to continue on with the sport. So this one is interesting because this one is, as you probably imagine, a pretty big moving target. It's going to depend a lot on what you're actually participating in. So the first thing you really want to do, and this is where the value I think is in picking an event before you start preparing, is if you identify the race, you can get much closer to knowing the intensity at which you're going to be competing at. So for this, I really do like to focus on duration, not distance. And the reason for that is basically the same. And I talked about this, I think a fair bit on the long run, considering the variables, why I like time-based workouts versus distance-based workouts for the majority, because we're talking about 
measuring the intensity at which you're trying to do something for a specific time frame. So for example, if I want to work on an intensity, regardless of what it is, whether it's easy, whether it's short interval, long interval, race intensity, or long run intensity, I want to be able to measure that in time because the intensity and the duration are two things that are controlled and fixed. Whereas the pace at which I do it or the distance at which I go under those parameters can change. So for example, if I know the effort I should be producing for my long run, and I know that right now I'm capable of running a long run of two hours before I start having a situation where the quality diminishes, then what number I hit is sort of irrelevant. And for me to say, oh, I'm going to try to hit 18 miles in those two hours. And that ends up being too fast relative to what I should be doing. Or by the time I get to 18, I've gone past two hours and my final miles are low quality because I went too far for what I'm ready for. I'm sort of aiming in the dark, so to speak. So this is why I really do like thinking of things in duration versus distance, whether it be your race day or your workout structures. So when I see like protocols that are like, oh, do an 18 mile long run or a 22 mile long run, I'm like, well, I mean, who are you talking to? I mean, if you know your subject very well, like in terms of the person you're speaking to, that can be fine because you may know what that means. You may have a good understanding of what that like 18 to 22 mile number actually means to that person. But if you're talking to the populace or people participating in endurance sport, that could be two very different prescriptions. An 18 to 22 mile long run for someone who can average a low five minute pace for a marathon is a world apart from an 18 to 22 mile long run for someone who's going to be averaging 10 to 12 minutes per mile, both of whom will be at a lot of marathons. So that is basically my reasoning for that. But anyway, when we're talking about identifying race day intensity, the reason why it's important is because it's going to allow you to decide where that fits in the intensities that you're already going to be working on, regardless of what the distance or duration of your event is going to be. And then kind of help with that order of operations things, types of things in terms of where you're positioning certain workouts in the time frame at which you're going to be building up for this particular race. So getting an idea of what that is can be important. It could be something as simple as just knowing like, okay, I'm training for a marathon. It's going to take me in the range of four hours. You don't have to get overly specific. You don't need to know like down to the minute where your, your goal time is going to be right out the gate. In fact, sometimes the training will help you narrow that target down but you should have a general idea of what you think is likely doable for you and then start thinking of the intensity at which you're going to be practicing this from that angle. So the next thing is, like I kind of mentioned before, the order of operations that you're going to want to be thinking about. So for those of you who've listened to the other episodes on this series, you'll likely understand that I like the idea of identifying the things that are valuable or the intensities that are worth working on or focusing on, and then working on them in an order of least specific to most specific. Now, this doesn't always mean in isolation, like only working on short intervals or only working on long intervals or only developing your long run. These things can happen in tandem, but there is usually going to be at least some primary focus at certain points. So for example, let me let me share one of mine. If I'm trying for something along like a hundred miler, 
or an ultra marathon. We can even simplify it to ultra marathon. I'm likely going to be working, assuming I have a strong foundation of base running in place, short intervals at a higher priority than long intervals earlier in the plan. And as I get further in the plan, that priority will shift towards long intervals versus short intervals because it is getting more specific to the intensity that I will be doing on race day. Neither of them are specific to the intensity I'm doing on race day. So they're both relatively early in the plan from a priority standpoint, but that is the, the way I'm thinking. And then with that same example, as I get closer to the race itself, I'm just going to be shifting much more training load towards the intensity at which I'm going to be racing. So for the hundred mile example, that just happens to oftentimes be long run development or spending more volume at the intensity at which I plan to race. And if I can do it, the environment in which I'm going to be racing at as well. So when you're thinking about this, uh, by default, your race intensity is going to be your most specific one, because that is the final piece to the puzzle. As we talked about before, that intensity that you're going to be doing at that final piece to the puzzle is the most specific by default. So when we're thinking of order of operations in terms of where to place this in your training plan, you want to be thinking about that as it making it a priority closer to the race itself versus making it a priority early on at the expense of other things that could be helpful, but are maybe just least specific. So my example with this is if I'm working with someone and they have a really strong base, meaning they built a bunch of long, slow miles up over like an extended period of time. And for us to do more of that at the same volume, we'll likely see little to no progress there. So the opportunity cost at that time for us to trade out some of that lower intensity base foundation running that they're doing for some speed work, even though that may mean in order to do a speed work session, we have to take an extra rest day or we have to reduce the, the pace or the quality at which they're able to do their next easier run. It's probably worth it because we've already pulled that lever pretty far on their base foundation stuff. And it's time to actually introduce another variable or change the training load by adding some intensity into it. Now, once we get to the end of the plan, if you have a situation where you are doing something like me, like an ultra marathon, hundred miles, the opportunity cost of doing short intervals, say three weeks out from the race itself versus using the energy I would, or that training load capacity I could do for short intervals I'd rather be using those for things that are more specific to race day, because that's, a, that's the intensity I'm actually directly trying to improve upon and likely going to get the most value at when I'm that close to the race itself. So by default, race intensity is the most specific, meaning once you have that established, you can start putting together the rest of your training plan with the idea of working on things that are least specific, but important, or another way you could look at it is things that are maybe weaknesses that you have that you want to improve because you're further out and you have some opportunity to do that, but things that you know are important, but are least specific first, and then kind of work your way to pushing at least more of the focus to your training towards the more specific stuff as you get closer to the race day itself. So now we get to the point where what do you actually do? do with this? Like, how do you actually practice this race pace intensity? So you'll remember when I talked about like short intervals, I like a structure of a one-to-one -one work to rest ratio, meaning for every minute 
that you spend at that intensity, you'll have a minute recovery in between. And for long intervals, I tend to favor a two to one work to rest ratio where for every two minutes spent, you get a one minute recovery. Uh, so if we want to look at those with examples, let's say we're doing three minute intervals for the short intervals, that's three minutes on three minutes off. If we're talking about long intervals and we're doing something to the nature of uh, three by 10 minutes, that'd be 10 minutes on five minutes off. And you'd be repeating that process. So for race intensity, some of this is going to determine, going to depend to some degree of what race intensity is. As I said earlier, this is a really broad range. If you're like training for a 5k race intensity is going to be quite fast. It might be relatively close to your short interval intensity. Whereas if you're racing hundred miles, it's going to be quite slow. It might even be slower than your typical long run. If you're not doing very race specific type training for your long run at the time. So you will want to probably structure these differently depending on what that race intensity is. And this is where I think the question between say like intervals versus just a time spent continuously is probably something that's worth considering. So in that first example, if you're doing something short, like a 5k, you're probably going to want to practice race intensity in an inter interval set, an interval type of setup, because at the end of the day, the simple principle you want to be following here is you want to be doing the appropriate amount of volume at the goal intensity, meaning the volume you can tolerate at the time without overreaching and taking future workouts off the table but at the highest quality. So if we're talking about the 5k in theory, I could just go out for a run, do a warm up, and just dial up whatever I think 5k pace is and hold on for dear life and see how far I can go. Chances are, unless I'm already peaked or underestimating my potential in the 5k, I won't even make it five kilometers in that type of a workout. Uh, if I do, then I'm, I should have a, a either a goal that is faster than the one I picked, uh, and, and structure things that way. So in realistically, if you have an accurate goal and you're not there yet, or I should say, but you're not there yet, you're going to be able to do more volume at the highest quality that you're looking for by breaking this into interval sessions. So a lot of times people like to call this like a broken 5k or a broken, whatever race distance. And the way you do that is for 5k, the easiest way to think about is maybe you're going to do five by one kilometer and that's your workout. So Rather than just running all five of those kilometers continuously, you're going to pick the pace at which you're hoping to target for race day. And you're going to run that exact pace in five, one kilometer intervals with a recovery block in between. So this is where I think it gets a little bit more interesting earlier on in the plan. You may want to have more recovery in between those intervals in order for you to be able to properly execute goal race day. So if you need a little more time between them, like say two, three minutes, maybe even four minutes, that'd be perfectly fine. If you start progressing through the plan, one way you can actually improve that workout without actually adding any additional training volume to the intensity portion of that. So keeping at a five by one kilometer is simply by reducing the recovery over time. So maybe in the beginning, you're doing those kilometer repeats with a three minute recovery jog in between each one of them. But then by the end, when you're getting very close to the race and you're almost in the taper frame, maybe you're able to do that five by one kilometer workout with as little as 30 seconds in between each of them. So you're making that workout more difficult or you're responding to your adaptations or your ability to be your improvement in ability to run that 5k intensity 
by reducing the recovery. You could also add extra volume to it too, if you wanted to just to do extra intervals and remain constant with the recovery in between. So really at the end of the day, though, you want to be thinking about it first practically in terms of what you have available in your training, your, 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 the time available. So someone who's got limited time, they may not want to actually add additional duration to their workout, but rather they can improve the workout or advance the workout by reducing the recovery time, recovery time, and actually potentially shorten the workout uh, versus someone who has much more flexibility and can't afford to add extra volume. You're going to want to make a lot of individual considerations with this too, just in terms of things like injury risk. Some people do tend to get injured easier with speed work than others. And if you're that person, you may want to be a little more mindful about how much, how much extra volume you're adding to either to, to your training plan, as well as at intensity in order to not put yourself in a position where you're taking a step back while trying to take a step forward. But generally speaking, if you follow that principle of you're looking to maximize the quality of those speed session intervals at goal race pace, uh, by structuring it in a way where you're going to get that highest quality, which for this is just very clear because you have a goal finishing time, which gives you the pace that you're going to be wanting to dial in. So however you do it, you want to be kind of thinking of it the same way as you would for those long and short intervals where when you, you, you don't want to have a situation where maybe the first three or the first four of those repeats are right on, but the last one is falling off. If that's the case, then you might want to restructure that in a way where you're able to get that full five kilometers at that quality. Or if it's a situation where you're, you're maybe not quite where you need to be yet or want to be yet, you could actually just shorten that workout and over time work your way up to get to that five five by one kilometer repeat. So that's just one example. I could run that same example with a 10 kilometer, with a half marathon, with the marathon, um, to some degree with ultra marathon. Although at that point, once you start getting into races, as far as like the marathon and ultra marathon, I find you're, you're likely matching that up with a workout that's already in place for at least one of those quality sessions of the week, which would be the long run. So for example, a lot of times when I'm working with folks with a marathon, when we get to that part of the training plan where we're really prioritizing their goal marathon pace, we're going to do those inside of other workouts, one of them being the long run. So they might do two sessions per week where we're working on goal marathon pace, one midweek, and then one during the long run. And then it's just a question of how much volume we want to do at goal marathon pace for each of those. So once it starts getting stretched out to a point where like, let's say someone's doing a fairly long, long run, like two and a half hours or further, and we want to place maybe upwards to 60 minutes at goal marathon pace inside that long run, it's less likely that I'm going to have them do all 60 minutes of those, those goal marathon pace continuously, although it's sometimes I, that is, it depends on the individual and what we're trying to focus on in terms of their strengths and weaknesses and needs in terms of everything all the way down to their confidence on race day. But when you start stretching out long enough, I think this is where intervals again can play a very valuable role because it may allow you to add extra volume at goal intensity by breaking it up. So if we use that long run, that two and a half hour long run with 60 minutes of goal marathon pace embedded into it, it may be much more prudent to do that in a, in a way where you're like doing those 60 minutes at 20 minutes at a time with two or three minute recovery jog in between. So those 60 minutes are of the highest quality possible versus having a scenario where let's say maybe 
you shift that 60 minutes to the back of the long run. You just make a little bit of a mistake with hydration or fueling or something like that. Or maybe it's just not your day. And all of a sudden you get to 50 minutes in the last 10 are slipping off. So they're low quality versus high quality, the way they could be if you had that spaced out in more of an interval structure. So that's uh, kind of the, the next level of like thinking about just way to ways to consider constructing that stuff. But ultimately you're, you're thinking about what the race intensity is reasonably speaking compared to all the other intensities we've talked about in this series and then starting to plan from there. And as you get longer in duration for the event itself, the more you're going to probably move it towards things that could potentially be continuous. For example, like if I'm working with someone who's doing a hundred mile race, I'm not going to have them go out in a long run and do intervals at their goal hundred mile pace. Cause their goal hundred mile pace is likely slower than their long run pace is in a lot of cases. And in that situation, we're actually looking at it almost in reverse where there's sort of two ways to look at this. One is if you have a goal, if you have a goal time for say a hundred mile, we can run the numbers and figure out what that means from like a minute per mile standpoint. So from there, we have to decide how do we actually get there? How do we actually put you in a position where you're moving at that pace and avoiding a situation where early on you're moving way faster than that because you're fresh, uh, you're likely more hydrated, you're likely topped off on fuel versus the end where you may be a little more tired, potentially a little dehydrated, potentially a little behind on fuel and things like that. So we want to avoid a situation where for these longer races that someone gets out too fast out of just intuition or whatever you want to call it. And then finds that that ends up costing them more time at the back end, because now they're exasperating those things I mentioned before, like the fatigue, the dehydration, the fueling and things like that due to running too fast in the beginning. And sometimes that means slower. Oftentimes it means slower than what would feel comfortable for say like a three hour long run. So a lot of times when those situations come up, what we look at is we look at what do they actually typically hit for a long run? So when I'm working with a coaching client, we'll have long runs throughout the plan. They just likely won't be what you would consider like these ultra aggressive long runs that sometimes end up being like quite long, like five plus hours or things like that. So since we have some long runs in like usually the time frame of like two hours and 15 minutes up to three hours already logged and recorded, we know the average pace that they tend to create for that or the, the average intensity that they tend to have for those type of workouts. So from there, we just need to compare that to what their goal is. So let's say on race day to get to the finish line on their goal time, they are going to be moving on average two minutes per mile slower than their average pace for the long run. Or uh, let's say maybe it ends up being 10 beats per minute lower than their average heart rate for a, for a given long run of a more traditional distance or duration. That, that, that gives us information to work with because there, it tells us one thing or two things. One, we could just target that, which means just slow down to that pace and run in this, like what I would maybe consider a, a gray area or artificially slow pace where you're sort of going too fast for a walk, but too slow to be what you'd consider a comfortable, easy run. A lot of people, I think, think that as maybe like the best solution. I'm not sure I really like that because it's kind of putting you in a position where you're moving in a mechanical way that is likely different than what you've practiced. And chances are 
this person has done enough walking over their life to, to know and have a, a pattern that is well-practiced within that. And then obviously they've been doing a lot of easy running. So they're very mechanically adapted to that intensity or that specific movement pattern. So my general approach is let's not fight that. Let's not introduce something entirely new to you by forcing you to run two minutes per mile slower than you normally would, uh, or, you know, substantially faster than what you'd be able to tolerate from a walking pace. And let's just keep the things in place that are already well-established. So for the running portions of the day, let's target that intensity that you're co comfortable with for your easy long run. And then let's embed some walking or hiking breaks into it so that it brings the average back to where we're targeting. So we don't get too far ahead of ourselves. The hardest thing with that strategy for people is it often means taking walking, hiking breaks very early in the race when they don't feel like they actually technically need it, even though by the end of the race, in hindsight, they'll recognize that they did need it. And had they done it, they would have been able to sustain that pace a little more con consecutively throughout the race itself. So that's very specific to the ultra running side of things, but I did want to touch on that because it does sort of change the dynamic of race intensity practicing to a pretty large margin when you start getting out to those outer fringe of ultra marathon. But what I'm basically getting at with that is you do want to include that component in your training. So when I talk about ultra style long runs, and I question whether we should even call them long runs to some degree, because they do tend to be, if they're specific to race day intensity, long run slash hikes or long run slash walks, if you're doing a flatter ultra marathon. And that is the type of strategy I think most people should be in, in putting into their plan if they are stretching their long runs out well past, say, three hours and wanting to actually practice what they're going to do on race day. So if you see me prescribe a really long run, which would be like five, six hours, maybe something that someone would consider like an ultra marathon style long run. I'm going to encourage that person to use that walk, hike, walk, run strategy, or practice that walk, run, walk, hike strategy that they would likely be using on race day so that we are doing the specific things that you're going to be doing on race day in practice. It's also going to give you a better understanding of things like how do you process fluids? How do you process fuel when you're out there working at the actual intensity you will be on race day versus an intensity that's slightly faster than that in, in a more continuous manner than you're likely going to do on race day. All right, that's it. That's uh race intensity simplified. So there is a little bit of guesswork there, obviously, when you get to like trying to predict what you're going to do. And a lot of times people are using races to test their limits or make an improvement upon what they've done in the past. So there is some speculation there or some hope that you're going to outperform where you were at previously, but it does give you some data to start with. And it is something you can monitor along the way, especially as you start practicing race day intensity. If you find that some of the workouts that you're doing that are targeting this intensity are pretty clear in the data that it's unsustainable or entirely too sustainable, that can just be a sign that maybe your, your projection in terms of where you want to be on race days, maybe a little bit off. What I like to do with this is I usually like to categorize things for race day goals as conservative, moderate, and aggressive, and then use the data to try to place the goal within that framework. So if someone has what ends up being an aggressive goal based on the data that is produced in training, I don't see a problem with them going after that. They just need to understand the risks. If you're going to do take a, take an, a, 
a, a swing at an aggressive goal, there's just a higher likelihood that it could potentially go backwards and you might end up running a slower race than you would have if you had targeted a more moderate or conservative goal. Same on the conservative end. Usually we'll talk about this. Sometimes I'll have a coaching client who they have a goal and we suspect based on their training that it's a conservative side of things and they could potentially outperform it. Uh, as long as they're comfortable with that, I don't see a problem with it. In fact, that side of things tends to be where I get a little excited actually, especially with ultra marathons, because I think there is a lot of potential to run faster in the second half of a race, especially if it's a longer one, it gets a little more touch and go on the shorter endurance race. Cause there's just only so much time you have to make up. But when you start getting into longer races, like hundred miles and things like that, I think there's a fair bit of undervaluing of even to negative splitting in some of these events. So when, when someone has a more conservative goal based on the data, I sometimes think, okay, they could get midway through this race or two thirds of this race and feel way better than they expected and get this experience of, oh, I can actually really be focused and energetic and excited to move quicker at the end of a very long day versus just assuming due to the duration and nature of the event that you're going to inevitably be moving slower at the end, regardless of how well paced it is. All right. That is my breakdown of race intensity simplified. If you have any questions or feedback on this, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to me on my website, zachbitter.com. You can shoot me an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on one of my social media channels. I'm most active on Instagram at zachbitter and Twitter at zbitter. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors include Element T Electrolytes and Delta G Ketone Esters. Element T Electrolytes can be found at drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO and are offering a free sample pack with your first purchase. And Delta G Ketones can be found at deltagketones.com. Also, give them a follow at deltag.ketones on Instagram.